So I'm just talking to you. All right, dear. Hello, I'm Nana. And if you enjoy listening to my sweethearts talk on this show, maybe tell a friend of yours. And maybe they can enjoy it, too. And if you would like to see this little show go a little bit further, maybe check out the Darlings Buy Me a Coffee account. All right. Okay, honey, you can go ahead with your flashlight thing now. Ladies, gentlemen, please take your seats. The spotlight is about to begin. Good evening, everybody. I'm Mystery Matt, and you're listening to the Mystery Matt Spotlight Podcast. We are in episode one of season five, and as in most season starts, we start with a true crime or some murder mystery or, I don't know, what would you call it? Anyway, we, this evening, are joined by the usual crew, Sarah and Kelly, who have both put together, well, Sarah, not so much, no, but Sarah's, Kelly is all Sarah's this one. just an observer this yeah. time, a listener. This is... This is all, all on me, so is, when you get some bad reviews, you can blame me entirely. It's all Kelly tonight. I literally am going into this blind. I've only ever heard of the case, but I never looked into it, and Kelly made me promise not to look into it because of the work I did on Delphi. <laughs> and so. now we're going to see if she broke that promise. And also, if I'm not mistaken, I'm the one that suggested the Iceman because I heard about him on one Oh, yeah, special... by the way, we're doing the Iceman. Yeah, by the <laughs> way, we're doing the Iceman. I don't think we've Man. said that yet. Okay, yeah. Yeah. The Iceman, if you don't know, is a gentleman who used to do killings for the mob, as far as we know. As far as I know, I don't know. I didn't look into it either, but that's all I know, really. Okay. So, Kelly, give her. Shall we just jump right in, I guess? So, uh, the Iceman, whose actual name is Richard Leonard Kuklinski, I hate saying that, Kuklinski. No, it doesn't. We're doing something different today where I have my own mic because I'm the star of the show (laughs) and my two lovely married friends have to share one. So, it's going to be an interesting game of tug of war, I think. Anyways, Richard Leonard Kuklinski, he was born on April 11th, 1935 in Jersey City in New Jersey. Uh, He died at the age of 70 on March 5th, 2006 in Trenton, New Jersey. He was convicted of four murders in 1988 and a fifth in 2003. He confessed in media interviews to have killed between 100 and 200 people. It varies depending on when he's given the statements and to have worked as a hitman for the mafia. He had a couple nicknames, the Iceman being one of them, obviously the most well-known. And then my personal two favorites are Big Rich and Big Richie. And I think... What about Big Red? No. Big Rich. Fucking loser. (laughs) Uh, He was married twice. Um, His first marriage was to Linda Kuklinski. They had two sons together. And his second marriage was to Barbara Kuklinski, which he had two sons and one daughter. Married his two sisters? No. No, she didn't give the maiden names. She kept Uh, the maiden names out. Yes. 
they, they don't have, they don't need to be identified. No, they may have gone back to their main names to avoid this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Good point. Good point. Yeah. They wouldn't be the first, by the Come way. Come on, Matt. All right. Um, his father was Stanislaw Stanley Kuklinski, who was born in uh, December 1906 and died in January of 1977. He was a Polish immigrant and worked as a brakeman for several railroads. His mother was Anna McNally, born in January 1911 and died in March 1972. She was the daughter of Irish Catholic immigrants. She worked in a meat packing plant when uh, Kuklinski was a child. And he liked to describe his mother as, quote unquote, cancer, who destroys everything she touches when he was older and giving interviews. He was the second child of four children. His parents were violently abusive to him and his siblings. Uh, Stanley was a violent alcoholic who beat his children and his wife regularly. He also abandoned his family while Richard was still a child, where he would periodically return, usually drunk, and would resume beating his wife and his children. Anna, on the other hand, would beat Richard with broomsticks, um, and the handles would frequently break upon contact with his body. So, obviously, they were going through broomsticks like crazy. Uh, sometimes she used other household objects to beat him with. Well, While... yeah, he's out of brooms. <laughs> yeah, when they ran out of brooms. There are many collection of broken brooms. Maybe she moved to a Looking frying pan. Or... There goes her vehicle for Sundays. Right? <laughs> yeah. like all her broomsticks are broken. Because she's a witch. Yeah. Um, while he was a preteen, Richard recalls an incident where Anna actually tried to kill her husband, Stanley, with a kitchen knife. She was a zealous Catholic, zealous Catholic, sorry, who believed in stern discipline accompanied by strict religious upbringing. So that means Stanley was raised in a Roman Catholic church and he became an altar boy. Aww. I know. So cute. He later rejected Catholicism. Um, yeah. I wonder, as an altar boy, if he was touched in the bad places by the... Honestly, couldn't priest. find anything about that. I thought the same thing. I, um, I mean, it's possible because, right, he's, him being gone and the whole stuff that's come out about the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. I'm sure if he was still alive, he would have probably brought that to light, but... Potentially, yeah. You don't know. It's I didn't Especially back then, right? It. it would be another factor that would push a person down a life such as that. Potentially. You yeah. know, could be just that piece of hay that broke the camel's back, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what made him snap, and he was never the same again. Who knows? I know. So I know I was going to say the questions to the end. So um, do you consider him being a product of nurture instead of nature? Yes, I think nurture. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, he wasn't getting the love and the support. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm about to get into something else that uh, I think supports that. Okay, so. cool. All right. All right. All right. Um, cool, 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 cool. One of his siblings, um, his brother, Joseph, was convicted in 1970 of raping a 12-year-old child and murdering her. He murdered her by throwing her and her dog off the top of a five-story building. Whoa. Yeah. 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 Poor dog. Poor child. Poor situation. I know. I agree. It makes me really sad. When... Kuklinski was asked about these crimes that his brother committed. He replied, we come from the same father. Ew. So, I don't know. Maybe it kind of points to a little of both, nature and nurture. 
I think with the evidence supporting the brother as well mm-hmm. and the environment they were raised, yes, definitely nurture. Yeah. It is because it, it's um, extremely rare to have two in one family. Mm-hmm. But considering what you said about this extremely strict upbringing and the abuse that they suffer from both parents, mm-hmm. I'm not surprised. I'm not. I'm really not. So. Couldn't find too much about the other siblings, but obviously that's probably a good thing. <laughs> They're probably relatively normal. From a documentary I seen mm-hmm. like in the earlier two thousands because I don't have a DeLorean to go to the later two thousands. Okay. Um from what I saw of the guy, just the way he put his sentences together and stuff like that, I just don't think he had a soul. There was no remorse. There was zero fucks given, as they say. Well, as I said, he killed anywhere but like we have confirmed kills, we have five that he's done that he was convicted for. For what he said he's killed, he's killed 100 to 200 people. Like, I think after a while, that does something to you, probably. Like, think of... It would have already had to be started at the starting, though. It's not that killing people did that to him. Him being already like that started the killing Sure, yeah, yeah. But I, if you think about, like, anybody who's killed somebody and deeply regrets it, like... Their personality changes too, right? So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think he regretted it. I'm not trying to say that. Yeah, I don't think. He I don't think he has any one. regrets. Zero, no regrets. <laughs> but like, I don't know. It's it's an interesting conversation around psychology. I, well, so. I did like a couple, like a month or two ago, watch documentary, but I didn't cheater. Take no, but I didn't take any notes or anything. Cheated. The only thing I remember is watching his mannerisms <clears throat> while talking about things and what he did. Mm-hmm. And watching his eyes, and there was not a blink. There was not a a look to the left or a look to the right. Any kind of remembering or recognition of how he felt. It was just like a coldness. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll talk more about that sure. later when, we, when you've gotten to the end. That's of what I mean. No soul. Yeah. No yeah. soul. Oh, definitely. So um, later, he stated that he used to kill neighborhood cats as a when he was a child. And he has also stated that he committed his first murder when he was in his early teens, though we have no confirmation of that. He dropped out of school after the eighth grade and survived with odd jobs and then began his criminal career. Uh, One of his main jobs that he worked at was at a Manhattan film lab in the mid-1960s, where he had access to master copies of popular films. And he realized that there was an industry (coughs) in bootlegging copies of popular Disney films, as well as bootlegging porn, which he would sell to people. You remember that part? I remember that part. And sometimes he gave the wrong tapes to the wrong people. Here, kid, watch Pinocchio. Wow, his nose really grows, Dad. Why is it so low? Uh, During this time, he was once arrested for passing a bad check, and this is the only crime he was charged with prior to his arrest for murder uh, about 20 years later. During that crime, he was photographed and fingerprinted, but charges were dropped after he agreed to pay back the money that was owed. So nothing ever happened there. Because of his job at the film lab, he became connected to organized crime, and he began to head a burglary group with several of his confirmed murder victims. Some of the people involved in the burglary group were Gary Smith, Barbara Deppner, Daniel Deppner, and Percy House. 
During this time, he was also allegedly hired as a hitman and supposedly did assignments for several crime families, including the Genovese, Gambino, and De Calvalcante, De Calvalcante organizations. I'm sorry, can you repeat that last name? No. <laughs> you got it twice. That's it. <laughs> Uh, he was described by prosecutors as someone who, quote-unquote, killed for profit. Although his wife and children described him as a loving father and husband, but had a bad temper. They they were allegedly unaware of his crimes. His modus operandi was to lure men into clandestine meetings with the promise of lucrative business deals, where he would kill them, steal their money, and he killed his associates to prevent them from talking to the police. So, as I mentioned, um, in his personal life, he had a, two marriages. His first marriage was to a woman, uh, nine years his senior, named Linda, with whom he had two sons, who was Richard Jr. and David. Uh, and while he was working for a trucking company, he met his second wife, Barbara, who was a secretary at the same firm. Kuklinski and Barbara married in 1961 and had two daughters, Merrick and Christian, and a son named Dwayne. Barbara described his behavior as alternating between good Richie and bad Richie. Good Richie was a hardworking provider and an affectionate father, loving husband, someone who enjoyed spending time with his family. Barbara also remembers in the good Richie times that when Merrick became seriously ill soon after she was born, Richard stayed up all night after to take care of her. Bad Richie, who would appear at irregular intervals, sometimes one day after another, other times not appearing for months, was prone to unpredictable fits of rage, smashing furniture, and domestic violence. During these periods, he was physically abusive to his wife, one time breaking her nose and giving her a black eye, and emotionally abusive towards his children. Mater, ma- oh, sorry. <laughs> Mater. Mater. Merrick later recalled that he once killed her dog right in front of her to punish her for coming home late. Whoa. Barbara claimed that Screw she, an early bedtime. <laughs> yeah, just kill the dog. Barbara claimed that she once told Richard she wanted to see other people, and he responded by gently or silently jabbing her from behind with a hunting knife so sharp that she did not even feel the blade go in. Wow. Yeah. He told her that she belonged to him and that if she ever tried to leave, he would kill her entire family. (coughs) And when Barbara began screaming at him in anger, he throttled her into unconsciousness. Merrick also remembers a number of road rage incidents involving her father. Kuklinski's family and the neighbors in Dumont, New Jersey, where they lived, were never aware of his activities and instead believed he was a successful businessman. Barbara described him as a wholesale distributor and said he employed an accountant. She did suspect that some of his income was from illegal activities due to their lifestyle and the large amounts of cash that he often possessed. However, she never expressed these worries to him, instead maintaining a don't-ask-questions philosophy when it came to his business life or associates. If Richard suddenly left the house in the middle of the night, Barbara would never ask where he was going. 
They divorced in 1993 when Richard was in prison. Barbara said the divorce was for quote-unquote money reasons. She continued to visit him in prison, but only about once a year. On June 6, 1984, Kuklinski filed for personal bankruptcy, listing debts of $160,000 and assets of only $300. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Did you have a question, Sarah? I, I know this. I kind of do. Um, it's, it's kind of a question statement. Okay. So, put yourself in her shoes. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, your spouse gets up in the middle of the night. You don't ask anything. He comes home. The next day on the news, there's a news report about a dead body who was apparently assassinated or had like a hitman type kind of death to it. Would you not have figured things out, especially if this happens repeatedly? <clears throat> uh, I think I know that one. Um, I think he was keeping regular business hours. So leaving early in the morning and coming home around five, six, seven o'clock at night. Oh, she's. But Kelly's saying that sometimes he would just get up in the middle of the night, randomly go out, and then come home a couple hours mm-hmm. later. Oh. So you'll find out um, his way of killing people and then storing their bodies afterwards. It was never uh, like Obvious. he would go out one night and then they would find a body the next day. It was never like I that. I still find it hard to believe that she did not know. Like, I mean, I like if my husband was just going out in the middle of the night, I'd probably think he was cheating on me. Well, yeah. I don't know if I would jump immediately to... But if all of a sudden he comes, somebody. But if he comes home with a big wad of cash afterwards, you're going to be kind of suspicious. Unless he's the gigolo and he's going out to meet a female client and he's getting paid for the sex. Ooh. Hey, come on. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Baby. I know a hooker who was being to you. You think she'd pay you? No. <laughs> Anyways, no, my point was I just find it hard to believe that she wouldn't have figured it out. Yeah, I, d- I just don't or know. No. Like, especially with his bad Richie, like, there's got to, I'm sorry, you got to be really stupid not to know this or figure that out. I'm just saying. I don't know if, like, I don't know if a lot of domestic violence cases have somebody that the person committing the domestic violence, like, also committing crimes outside of the home. I think a lot of the time they're very high profile. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I mean, that makes sense too, right? I mean, just his actions and the timetable, and I would be suspicious in that circumstance. I'd be like, he's out there doing something very nefarious. He's hurting somebody. He's going after somebody. It's, the other thing is, it's a different time. Like, yeah. women weren't encouraged were to think that way, right? If you did, you got hit. I did. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Like, yeah. in that time period, especially the time period he was growing up as a child, even more so. But yeah, if a woman's stepped out of line they got a backhand i'm not saying it's right at any point absolutely not yeah but that's the way it was why the police became interested in him um there was an investigation into his burglary ring that when they were investigating they found it linked him to several murders and because he was the last person to see five missing men alive um There was an 18-month-long undercover investigation slash operation, which led to his arrest in December 1986. So, in December 1986, he was arrested and charged in connection with those murders. Um, The first murder was for George Maliband, who was killed in 1980 by gunshot. And 
Kuklinski later admitted to shooting him five times, saying, quote unquote, it was due to business. Uh, George was not found until one week later, and he was supposedly carrying $27,000 on him at the time. He met with Kuklinski to sell videotapes, and his body was found stuffed in a 55-gallon drum near a Chemitrex chemical plant in New Jersey. In order to fit the body in the drum, he cut the tendons on the legs of the corpse to shove them in there. Uh, his second victim Paul, was Paul Hoffman. He was a 51-year-old pharmacist who frequently browsed the store, I'm using that with quotes, uh, which was a storefront with a back room holding a wide variety of stolen items for sale. Um, Paul hoped to make a profit by purchasing stolen tagamet, which is a popular drug to treat peptic ulcers, and he wanted to resell that drug at his pharmacy. So Paul disappeared in 1982 when he tried to buy prescription drugs from Kuklinski. He was last seen on his way to meet Kuklinski with $25,000 in cash, and his body was never recovered. During his plea deal, Kuklinski said he lured Hoffman into a rental garage and tried to shoot him, but the gun jammed. Instead, he beat him to death uh, with a tire iron and then stuffed his corpse into a 55-gallon drum with the same practice as the last guy. He left the drum outside of a motel, and one day he just noticed the drum was gone but never learned what happened to it. So that's kind of still up in the air. His third murder was Gary Smith, who was a member of Kuklinski's burglary ring. The burglary ring was under investigation, as I said. Um, Percy House, another member of the gang, was arrested. And during his arrest, House agreed to inform the police on Kuklinski's behavior and was placed in protective custody. Warrants were then issued for Gary Smith and Daniel Deppner, both members still of the burglary gang. Kuklinski urged them to lay low, um, so they decided to rent a motel um, at the York Motel in North Bergen, New Jersey. Smith just up and left the motel to go visit his daughter and check in on her. And because he left and because of a discussion that they had earlier in the day about Smith going straight and getting out of the crime business, Kuklinski worried that he was going to become an informant. So later on, Kuklinski gave Smith a hamburger that was laced with cyanide. And because the cyanide was taking too long, he decided to strangle him with a lamp cord. That makes the whole burger preparation and everything null and void. Why did you try so hard if you're just going to do that? So according to a forensic pathologist, (laughs) Michael Baden, they said that Smith's death would probably have been attributed to something not homicidal in nature, like an overdose or something like that, um, if Kuklinski only relied on the poison. But instead, because they found the ligature marks around his neck, they realized that, no, this was... Um, something else entirely (laughs) oh and the fact that the body had been deliberately hidden which i'll tell you about in a minute um his body was discovered under the motel bed in 1982 after barbara deppner did not return with a car to move smith smith's body after he killed him kukinski and daniel deppner placed it between the mattress and the box spring Over the next four days, a number of patrons rented the room, and although they thought the smell in the room was odd, most of them did not think to look under the bed. 
Can you imagine that? Ew. Yeah. And I was just (laughs) staying at a hotel this past week. Next time I need to make sure I check under the bed. (laughs) Yeah, I think checking under the bed is a good idea also. Mm -hmm. But if I can give one word of advice, don't take a black light with you. Yes, never. Never do that. Never do that. (laughs) I did that once at the bathroom at work. Oh my god. Mind Ew. you, that bathroom got scrubbed clean when I was done because I knew where I were to scrub. So, anyway. But yeah, like, um, if I went into a hotel room and I smelled something that foul, I'd be like, dude, I need a new hotel room. This is disgusting. <laughs> um, I think something died in here. You might want to check the vents under the bed and the cabinets and stuff. Cause it, you know, because it, it could even be something as minuscule as a mouse or a rat. Because they, they do give off that decomposing odor as well. Ugh. But. But if it's a full body, yeah, that odor is gonna be oh, nasty. That's like, that's a now, was that in the summertime too? No. Okay. No. That would be even worse. Uh, it was uh, not until December twenty seventh, after more complaints from guests about the smell, that the motel manager investigated and discovered the decomposing corpse. How many days is that? Actually, I am missing that information, so I apologize, and oh. we'll have to get back to you. Either way, if they've had many patrons before there was even complaints, yeah, that's several days. Oh, yeah. Well, it was the the first four days after he was murdered was several people in and out. And then there was more time that passed as well that we know for sure. But you no, imagine sorry, it, I don't know. You imagine if a hooker took a John there? Fucking anything. If like I'm there with my kids partner, or whatever, or whatever. Anybody. Yeah, anybody. Sticky, Just, icky. and the other thing is, like, it was okay. in between the mattress and the box spring. Okay, Wouldn't you feel like the lumpiness? You would think, right? But yeah. also, the maid changing the sheet, she would be moving that around. Eh. You know, lifting the corners up eh. and stuff, right? Eh. Right? Would, no. <laughs> so that makes you I wonder. I did that for a while. <laughs> did they clean the I sheets? I made the beds. Yeah, they probably cleaned the sheets. Because I mean, when I, I mean, it's a motel too. When I so. pick up. The, when I do not. the corners, I have to sometimes pick up the corner to get it in there good. You don't have to like lift up the whole bed. No, but as soon as you lift it up, it's going to be even stronger, right? It's going to get like a yeah. breeze through. It's going to come like cross breeze. Yeah, yeah, and then when you put, especially <laughs> when you put it down, because do you ever put it down just softly? Sometimes you just go funk. Right? I don't think I ever do that. Then you know. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I'm like, ew. Yeah. Ew. Because yeah. you're lifting it up several times because you're also tucking the blankets in the bottom. And you, sometimes on the side. Okay, I don't, sure, depends. sir. <laughs> Whatever. Don't <laughs> at me. I just don't know if, um, like, when when I was making beds, I worked at a university, and in the summertime, we would uh, do, like, a hotel service. When we were making the beds, like, we were just doing it as quickly as possible because we had so many rooms to take care of. So True. I don't know. Maybe it's my OCD that I wouldn't it be could able be. to do it that slowly. I would want to get it as toit. 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 Yeah. Um, it's just, I don't know. And then, like I said, it's a motel too. <laughs> They're probably not being paid very well and people probably don't care. Yeah. 80s. Okay. And then on to his next murder uh which was daniel debner another member of the burglary ring who was poisoned and his body wasn't discovered until 1983 after smith's murder so the previous one kuklinski moved debner to an apartment in bergenfield new jersey belonging to rich patterson 
his, the then fiance of Kuklinski's daughter, Merrick. Patterson was away at the time, but Kuklinski possessed the keys to the apartment. Between February and May of 1983, Deppner was killed by Kuklinski. Investigators deduced he was murdered in Patterson's apartment after discovering, discovering a bloody carpet. Kuklinski enlisted Patterson's help to dispose of Deppner's body, telling Patterson the victim was a friend in trouble with law enforcement and someone had broken in and killed him over the weekend. He added it was the best, uh, sorry, he added it was best to dump the body to avoid trouble with the police and then forget about the incident. Kuklinski made another mistake when he informed an associate that he had killed Debner. So, as I said, 1983, um, the corpse was discovered on May 14th after a bicyclist riding on Clinton Road in a wooded area of West Milford, New Jersey, spotted the corpse surrounded by vultures. Kuklinski wrapped the corpse inside green garbage bags before dumping it. Medical examiners listed Deppner's cause of death as quote-unquote undetermined, although they noted pinkish spots on his skin, which is a possible sign of cyanide poisoning. Deppner was also strangled, um, and investigators guessed that Deppner had already been incapacitated, like maybe by the poison, because the partially eaten corpse had no defensive wounds, and healthy adult men are rarely killed by strangulation. The medical examiner found Deppner's stomach full of undigested food, indicated that he had died shortly after or during a meal. The beans that Deppner had eaten were burned, so they reasoned the meal was home-cooked because most restaurants would not get away with serving burned food to customers. Investigating officers also discovered the corpse just three miles or five kilometers away from the ranch where Kuklinski's family often went horseback riding. Deppner was the third Kuklinski associate to be found dead. His next victim was Louis Masquet, who was last seen in 1981, body not found until 15 months later, only partially decomposed and killed by gunshot. Medical examiner discovered ice crystals in his body tissues, determining that he was kept frozen. Uh, I was about to say, well, if he's that long and only partially yeah. decayed, he was kept frozen. So that led to the nickname, the Iceman. Yay, we said it. Oh. Yay. You said the thing with the name in it. Yeah. On September 25th, 1983, the body of Louis Masque was discovered near a town park in Clausland Mountain Road in Orangetown, New York with a bullet hole in the back of his head. Masquet disappeared over two years earlier, on July 1st, 1981, the day he was to meet Kuklinski at a New Jersey diner to purchase a large quantity of blank video cassette recorder tapes, for which Masquet had $95,000 for in his van. Yeah, remember, listen, remember... This was back in the day when that was new technology and it was expensive, okay? Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay? Okay. I guess I forget, because, you know, you used to be able to go to the store and get them for like a buck ninety nine. Yeah, and no. Yeah. <laughs> Not. Wait, did he only get that name for one victim he froze? Oh, I guess it's a wait and see. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Um, <laughs> his body was sorted into a freezer and then discovered 15 <laughs> months later. After another plea bargain, Kuklinski admitted to shooting Maskey. However, Kuklinski did not thaw the corpse before he dumped it. He also wrapped it in plastic garbage bags, which kept it insulated and partially frozen. 
The Rockland County Medical Examiner found ice crystals inside the body on a warm September day. If the body had thawed before discovery, the medical examiner stated he probably would never have even noticed that it was previously frozen. Investigators realized uh, Maskey was wearing the clothes his wife and son said he was wearing the day he disappeared. The discovery that Kuklinski froze Maskey's corpse encouraged law enforcement officers to name him the Iceman. Newspaper reporters sensationalized Kuklinski's frequently used moniker of Iceman in headlines, of course, because we love Naming a nickname. So, because Gary Smith's body was discovered, it led to a six-year investigation, um, and he was arrested after, after having agreed to help an undercover federal agent murder a fake person, like someone who didn't exist. Kuklinski came to the attention of Pat Kane, who was an officer with the New Jersey State Police, when an informant helped Kane connect him to a gang carrying out burglaries in northern New Jersey. He built a file on him, and eventually, five unsolved homicides later, were linked to Kuklinski because he was the last person to see each of them alive, which were Hoffman, Smith, Deppner, Maskey, and Maliband. A joint task force of law enforcement officials titled Operation Iceman was created between the New Jersey Attorney General's Office and the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, dedicated to arresting and convicting Kuklinski. Wow, you know you're important when you get your own task force. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the ATF Bureau was involved due to Kuklinski's firearm sales. ATF Special Agent Dominic Paul- Polifrone went undercover for 18 months to apprehend Kuklinski. Starting in 1985, uh, Kane and Polifrone worked with Phil Solomine, who was a close longtime friend of Kuklinski, to get Polifrone close to Kuklinski. Posing as a mafia-connected criminal named Dominic Provenzano, Polifrone purchased a handgun muffler combination from Kuklinski. In recordings, uh, Kuklinski discussed a corpse he kept in a freezer for two and a half years, and he told Polifrone that he preferred poison, saying, Why be messy? You could do it nice and calm. He asked Polifrone if he could supply him with pure cyanide. Polifrone told Kuklinski he wanted to hire him to murder a wealthy Jewish cocaine dealer and recorded Kuklinski speaking in detail about how he would do it. Kuklinski was also recorded boasting he killed a man by putting cyanide on his hamburger and of his plans to quote-unquote kill a couple of rats, which were Barbara Deppner and Percy House. On December 17, 1986, Kuklinski met Polifrone to get cyanide for a planned murder, which to, was to be an attempt on an undercover police officer. After the recorded conversation uh, with Polifrone, Kuklinski went for a walk. He tested Polifrone's purported cyanide on a stray dog using hamburger as bait and saw that it wasn't poison. Suspicious, Kuklinski decided not to go through with the planned murder and went home instead. He was arrested at a roadblock two hours later. His wife was charged with disorderly conduct for interfering with his arrest. Officers discovered a firearm in the vehicle. So officers discovered a firearm in the vehicle and she was also charged with possession of a firearm, his wife, because she was a passenger in the vehicle. 
Okay. Any questions? Comments, concerns. So so far, he's only actually froze one guy. Yeah. Still one guy. Yeah. 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 But he earned that. Did it once and it stuck. Yep. Yeah. Would you? What's more catchy, Iceman or Big Rich? Iceman is probably more catchy, and I think the reason that they named him that because the crime itself at that time was relatively unique. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you can see, as we go through the crimes, he definitely had like. This, the same things that he was incorporating, like yeah. the, the 55-gallon drum, putting cyanide. them in garbage bags, cyanide. Like, it was the same thing recurring. But then why couldn't they call him something like the garbage bag dumper or something? or the? Because that creative. sounds fucking uh, stupid, Matt. Uh, yeah, but that was a shitty example. But, like, <laughs> use something that's actually one of his traits. Like, he was using the barrels. He was using the garbage bags. He strangled a lot of people. But then again, you can only have so many stranglers yeah. out there, right? Yeah. Like, oh. I think probably, too, the, like, how interesting it was that he froze a body and then it wasn't discovered until, like, over a year later probably brought more attention to it in the media, right? Well, I guess, yeah, it would be a prolonged thing. Yeah. So, I guess, because it was prolonged, it wasn't just like a, yeah, I just kind of killed a guy, put him in a bag and ditched it, you know? I mean, it, it's not a good thing to actually name killers like, like give them nicknames and stuff oh kind of, we know that now it glorifies it yeah and of course back then they couldn't wait oh let's name this guy this and let's name this guy that and let's kind of find a cool name mm-hmm. and the co-ed killer and the night stalker and all this stuff right and now you got the ice man yeah um again though it's because they find a unique trait that they can use and they pull that out and it's an easier way to identify oh the ice man struck again instead of saying the unknown subject struck again because it just doesn't capture the attention of the public. Yeah. It doesn't bring the story. It doesn't sell the papers. It doesn't sell the crime. Mm-hmm. And exactly. it sells, yeah. It sells. It sells. Yep. You know, like so the the catchy nickname thing sells. Yeah. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. It does. But um, like I kind of find it funny that his wife was charged with disorderly conduct. I know. <laughs> I'm like, if you're stopping your husband from getting arrested, you clearly know what he does. Like you clearly do. You, you don't just think I just don't know. What? You know enough not to say anything. Like, what? I think the opposite, Sarah. Like, yeah. if if I got pulled over with my husband Why? and he was, like, being arrested for a crime that I had no idea, I would be fighting for that because I'd be, like, trying to fight yeah. for his character. If you knew but what he did. And then you I would just an... let it happen. <laughs> yeah, if you knew what he did, you probably needed an out because you were getting beat, too. So that would be a reason not to stop the police. Like, I, I think... They had no idea. Yeah. I'm just saying, okay, if I didn't have an idea of what was going on. Well, let's, okay, let's put it in the context. You're, you guys are driving. They pull you over. Yep, Matt's driving, apparently. He could get arrested just for that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> you guys get pulled over. Matt's just getting arrested, and they like don't really tell you other than under suspicion for murder. Um, What would you do? My first reaction would remain calm, because you're going to get more... What? You're going to get them to listen to you more of your calm. Are you? you, Yeah, you're going to be pissed, right? You're going to be pissed and upset, but you're going to be like, listen, I don't think he did this. I know my husband. You're not going to be like, I don't know my husband. You're not going to do like that because you're not going to get anywhere but the police that way. Wow. You just won't. It's called logic. Well, you also got to remember the times. So there was a lot of angst and unrest in the States at the time. I would probably also be. Whoa, careful. Are we still connected? Threw the mic at me. Um, I would probably, like, if my husband got pulled over, I'd be like, what is this about? What is going on? I'd probably get yeah. charged, too, because I'd be like, there's no way. 
Like, there's no way. If I if I lose my shit right now and I get charged, I can't help him. Can you actually say that you would be reasonable in that moment? I would try to my best to be reasonable. I might not be super calm, but I'm not gonna like be like completely crazy either. But you what know? if like they're being like super rough? Because they're gonna be with an attempted or like a suspected if murder. If they're like super rough with you, then yeah, I might step in. But I also know that I'm not any good to you if I'm arrested as well. You know, so. Because then now you, you've got two of us arrested, and he needs more help than I do. Yeah. But I can't do it because I'm sitting in a different room, mm-hmm. and I can't help him. All I can do is lawyer up, and all he can do is lawyer up. And you should always lawyer up whether you're innocent or not anyways, because it's good to have that extra legal advice yeah. there. Um. Anyways, that's aside the point. But I just think that if you take a few minutes, breathe, and be like, okay, I'm going to fix this better if I'm calm. They're going to listen to me more if I'm calm and that's that is re- relatively reasonable with them. I totally agree with you completely that, but I think my first reaction would be like, what the fuck is going on? Why are you arresting him? And I can, because you're like panicking and upset about the situation too. I can't say I'd be like calm or collected, but I can definitely say that after like I had time to process the situation, then I would definitely do what you're saying. Like, yeah take a minute and be like okay what is going on how do i need to go forward i'm more likely but my, to be shocked so i don't know if my first reaction would be that i, I think, think in my head it would be would but be. i'd be like i'd be like like that you know i wouldn't say anything i would be able to say anything i'd be like left agog you know completely agog and what the heck i've never heard that term before oh, just, really really oh i like that one yeah it's left agog like like shocked like oh my god like i can't even say anything not a gag you know, Matt making blowjob gestures over here, you dick. Um, but I'm just, I think it's actually really hard for any of us to really put ourselves in that situation because we've never been in that oh, situation. Oh, yeah, of course. But I, I don't know. I don't think it's um, an appropriate response well, at maybe all. Maybe not. Maybe not. But I mean, like, like I said, it depends on your person. Mm-hmm. And if she was, she's a Jersey wife right so she was probably yeah exactly that's the other thing culture yeah. you have to take yeah into culture it. jersey and new yorkers are kind of more aggressive more aggressive yeah. yeah they have to be they have to be because they're in an aggressive environment to begin mm-hmm. with if you don't cross that road when you have time even if there's a car coming at you you're never going to cross that fucking road so you got to be like hey i'm crossing here you know like was that your impression of the new jersey accent sort of or was that more new york Hey, I'm crossing here. I'm crossing here. I'm crossing here. I gotta here. go get my fucking coffee. Coffee. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna turn you down. So you're good for part yeah. one. Any, yeah. Anything awesome. you guys want to add? Or um, not really. Sarah has questions. Okay. Sarah always has questions. Okay. 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 I'll do my best to answer. As bad, Richie. Uh-huh. Would you? Like, do you know if it was because it was, like, a time where he wasn't killing any of his associates? No, I don't know. Because, I mean, if he was being that aggressive with his family, it could be just an outlet for that anger that he was suppressing. That's what I, that's kind of what I think, too. Like, I I don't know that for sure, but. it's such a a 180 or 360, Mm -hmm. whichever one the full run is. Yeah. Um, From him being, like, the doting family man and taking care of his daughter in the night and stuff. Like, if a man doesn't have that kind of patience and that kind of, um love because obviously he loved his kids yeah to just turn around and use a hunting knife in his wife's back and that's a huge difference so to me that would say um 
he wasn't killing anybody at that time. It was like a lull mm-hmm. or he didn't have a, there wasn't a reason to take out an associate or an enemy or anything like that. So maybe it was just penting up and then it would burst out. Yeah. You said they were frequent, but not frequent. Like yes. They were infrequent. Yeah. Sometimes it could be, like <clears throat> I said, it could be like every day it was happening or sometimes it would go months. Yeah. So without... there must be a reason for yeah, it. I, I definitely agree. Well, uh, I think one reason for it would be a heat having the police looking for you and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the second thing is he's usually getting paid a fuck ton per kill, so he doesn't need to do it so often. But I think you are right. I think when he was in his lulls, it was building up, and he just had to go out and stab a guy. Or, or uh, I heard of one incident. He pulled up to a stoplight or something, and the guy looked at him, and I guess he cut him off or something, and he says, hey, man, fuck you. And Ice Man goes, no, man, fuck you. Pulls out his gun. Yeah, just shoots him. Shoots him in the head. Yep. Light turns green. He drives away. And that's what I mean. Like, this guy has no soul. You, you say one thing to him or even look at him wrong, from what I've heard, and that's the end of you. So, yeah, do you have any more questions? Oh, that was it? Yet. Yeah. All righty. So, uh, if you guys like this kind of thing, make sure to join us on our next episode where we're going to be continuing the Iceman series. Big Rich. Big Rich. Big Richie. You know what? Richard is the long form of dick, so he's big (laughs) dick. He's a big dick. Can I just say, I don't like saying his last name. (laughs) Kuklinski. Then just call him the Iceman. It's hard to say. Kuklinski. You did pretty good, though. It's not one of those Polish last names that rolls off the tongue. Yeah, yeah. Right? Some it's, of them do. If it was Kuklin, like, oh, there's, see, I just said it, Kuklinski. If you're not thinking about it, Kuklinski, it's hard, it yeah. worked. But if you're reading it and you're looking at it and you're like, Kuklinski, yeah. it doesn't roll off right. It Kuklinski would have. I think, yeah, I think it's the K and then the L immediately. Kuklinski. Yeah. Kuklinski, yeah. So, it, it's, yeah, yeah, it's a hard last name to say. The Italian name that Yes. <laughs> Awesome. So be sure to join us on more fun stuff in season five because things are going to get weird because Halloween's coming. So uh, we'll see you guys on the next one and uh, stay alive.